Do not be like horse and mule, which have no understanding, who must be fitted with bit and bridle, or else they will not stay near you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So that's a long reading. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and I sometimes wonder if that's Jesus' sermon, and that's all he had to say about that, then who am I to get up into this podium and to say more? But I have some things to say. I'm dubious. In fact, I think if I were, you know, a, a hanger-on or possibly a disciple of Jesus, and this was a moment of ex sort of public exchange, and then we would go back into the, sort of our private, you know, the rhythm of being out in public and then going and being, you know, with your inner circle, that I would have definitely had some questions about this parable that he told. I'm dubious about the son. You know, he wanted his inheritance early. He moved to Las Vegas <laughs> to see what he could make, do with that money and make happen. And he only wants to go back home when he runs out of money. And there's a famine. There's an economic depression and he doesn't have any resources to continue to live the way that he really wanted to live. The scriptures say, as it recalls Jesus' telling of the story that he came to himself. You know, he understood himself. But those things are complicated. Right? We have a lot of different kinds of needs that influence our decisions. And my hearing of the story is that this son really didn't repent. He just was hungry. And he wanted to go home. And so I would raise the question... How many days is it going to take, or weeks, maybe months, before he gets the, the itch again, and he wants to leave home and go party a little bit? Now, am I being fair? I don't know. I think sometimes that Christian spirituality, you know, following in the way of Jesus, is really about balancing two impulses or two important things. One is to identify, you know, what's called in the Jewish tradition, the Torah, the teachings of God, to identify which of those are good and healthy and life-giving, that help us be successful, to help us feel connected to God, to identify those and then to do them. That's a good thing. That's, we shouldn't see that as a negative thing. But then the other side of that coin is that when we fail, that there is atonement available for us. There is grace and compassion and forgiveness available to us. And that those two sides of the spiritual life are always sort of playing together with each other. And the question is, is there a balance? Or does this parable suggest an imbalance to that equation? I sometimes wonder, are we talking about God the great enabler with a story like this. Now I can imagine that within this room, our congregation that's gathered here now, that there have been people who have had in their families, whether it was you 
or somebody that you loved and cared for who found themselves in, in a cycle of behavior that they couldn't get out of. And that you, as someone who was loving them, you wanted to extend grace and forgiveness to them to give them a, a, a second chance, maybe a third chance, a fourth chance. And I've been you know, friends and pastor to people who finally get to a point with this loved one, and it's usually a child, and they're trying to ask the question, at this point, am I doing harm to them by giving them another chance? Should I create some more strict boundaries so that they have to sort of hit rock bottom? You know what I'm talking about? In fact, just as an aside, this idea of hitting rock bottom before you can actually make a significant change. Uh, being in the Baptist tradition before I came, became an Episcopalian, I did have opportunity to attend revival services. They bring in the preacher, and part, parts of those revival services that I would attend were at Falls Creek in Oklahoma. The youth camp there in the Arbuckle Mountains, it has 5,000 kids a week that attend that camp. I'm curious in the room, how many here have been a camper at Falls Creek? I thought it was going to be more than that. <laughs> I remember I, I, I was a youth pastor at First Baptist Church in Shawnee, and I'd been there a little bit, and I'd gathered the parents and said, look, uh, Falls Creek is very manipulative to our kids, uh, and I can tell you that there are camping experiences out there that are much more sort of balanced and thoughtful, and I want you to consider maybe we should go participate in those camp experiences. It was an interesting response that I got from them. They said, we hear you, we agree with you, but we want you to take our kids to Falls Creek. <laughs> it was a cultural phenomenon. Grandma got saved at Falls Creek. Uh, I rededicated my life at Falls Creek. I want you to send my kids to Falls Creek. But one of the dynamics of those camps or those revival-type settings is that those preachers will turn up the heat. They'll try to identify things that every, most everybody in the audience has probably you know, crossed over that line. And they'll present this as a crisis a moral and spiritual crisis that you have to respond to. What those preachers are doing is they're raising up the bottom. They're not waiting for somebody to hit bottom. They're bringing the bottom to the person. <laughs> so that they have to, to reckon and deal with things that they might be struggling with now, but also dealing with things that potentially they may be encountering in the future. So I wonder, this young man in the parable, did he hit rock bottom or did he just run out of money? And is the father, in receiving him, enabling him in his behavior? I think it's the exact sort of dubious re reaction that Jesus was anticipating in those he was get, telling this parable to. People like me, who were skeptical. And I think it raises the question, if you were to create sort of an equation of trying to keep people in your life accountable to the right and the good, 
And then on the other hand, giving them opportunity to be forgiven, to receive compassion, to have a new chance. If you were to create sort of an equation, is that a 60-40? Is that a 70-30? What is it? And I believe that Jesus in this parable is saying to us, if you're going to make an error, if you're going to err to one side or the other, the side that you err to is the side of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance. As we started our service today, we did the, the, the Decalogue, right, the recounting of the Ten Commandments. And as the Ten Commandments are shaped, the first four, they deal with the relationship between a person or a community and God. They sort of are vertical, vertically aligned. And then the, the next six are shaped about how we interact with each other. They're communal. All of these commandments, save one, really are about giving you sort of a clear do this and don't do that. It's, it's action-oriented. It's based on something that you're going to do or you shouldn't do. But it's that last one. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Is unique in that it's not a law that's given to us to follow with a clear do this or don't do this, but it's a law that has to do with the how, how you feel about something. And that's much more difficult to engage. How do I not want something that I really want? And I think that's getting into the intricacies of the inner life, the interior life. There, there is the practice of knowing how to stay between the lines, but then there is also this transformation that happens within us. And what I'm questioning about this son in the story is, has he been transformed? Jesus is saying to all of us, show mercy, show compassion. Point to the good and the right, but show mercy and compassion. And let the interior transformation leave that up to my spirit. And I say this to us in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.